At Baker's, no matter where you order free pickup, you get the same great deals as you'd get in store. So you can save when you order during band practice or at the dog park or wherever. Start your cart with the Baker's app and save from wherever today. Baker's, fresh for everyone. $35 order minimum restrictions may apply. Subject to availability. Get more ways to save at the buy five or more, save $1 each sale. Just buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Hey guys, this is Jason Zook. I'm pleased to have special guest Jeff Ray with us in this episode. Jeff is a motivational speaker. He was born with certain physical limitations that impacted his ability to walk, talk, and perform daily activities. Please join us as we discuss how to discover no limits. Thank you. Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to the Social Psychic Radio Show featuring Jason Zuck. Jason has been an intuitive psychic medium since 2004. This show will cover a variety of topics relating to spirituality, mediumship, self-improvement, and intuitive guidance. Whatever interests you, remember that we are all here to share and learn. Sit back and get ready to socialize with the social psychic. Hello and welcome to the Social Psychic Radio Show. This is Jason Zook. It's with great pleasure that I have the opportunity of having special guest Jeff Ray, motivational speaker, to discuss the topic of Discover No Limits. How often do you express gratitude that you have all of your limbs, your fingers, they're working right? We don't appreciate something like that unless it's missing. In this episode, I had the opportunity and pleasure to interview a personal friend of mine who's always impressed me greatly, Jeff Ray. Jeff is a motivational speaker. And his personal message is to inspire others to discover no limits. I first became acquainted with Jeff when he attended Stetson University as an undergrad in 2006. Jeff was born with physical limitations that impacted his ability to walk, talk, and perform daily activities with his hands. He was diagnosed with hypoglossia, hypodactylia syndrome, Hanhart syndrome, amniotic band syndrome, cleft lip and palate, and a part of his tongue was fused into the heart palate in his mouth. At just two weeks old, Dr. Mutaz Habal performed a high-risk surgery that severed Jeff's tongue in half, leaving only part of his tongue remaining. Dr. Habal also corrected Jeff's cleft palate and lip. A member of Jeff's local church happened to be a Shriner, and with his referral, Jeff underwent 20 surgeries to correct his club foot, the lengthening of his digits, fingers, and the removal of a metacarpal in his right hand, which allows him to hold a pencil and grasp objects. Shriner's orthotic and prosthetic department furnished Jeff with numerous ankle, foot, orthesis, and prosthetic legs. Jeff has attained a Bachelor of Science in Computer Information Systems in 2009 and a Master's of Business Administration in 2010 from Stetson University located in DeLand, Florida. Jeff has been an advocate for those with disabilities based upon his personal journey. We look forward to discovering No Limits with Jeff Ray in this episode. Welcome to the show, Jeff. Hey, Jason. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate having you on. And the reason why we're doing this episode today is because I want to share with our audience the prism, or I should say the viewpoint of your dynamic, because we, we had a, the record, our audience, so they know you and I are in the same undergraduate fraternity, Pi Kappa Phi. And I became acquainted with you when I was a national alumnus volunteer and you were at Stetson. And Correct. one of the things I, I didn't know at the time was because you had pants on. So I didn't know that you had certain limitations 
until you and I actually got to know each other better over time when, when you, you know, you and I worked together with the fraternity as a volunteer. And then we, we've maintained contact all these years because I just think your story is such an inspiring one. Uh, I am excited that you are a motivational speaker. And one of the things I first want to ask you is growing up with your particular situation, what was the greatest challenge you encountered as a child? I think the greatest challenge was to convey that I'm just like everyone else. Now, when you, everybody has challenges in their life. And I think the greatest challenge that everybody has resides between their, their two ears. And just because I have a physical uh, 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 disability or a physical challenge does not mean that I am, uh, you know, limited in any, any way or fashion. Uh, one thing that, you know, people ask me a lot, you, you've, you've adapted a lot. How, how do you adapt to things? Now, adapting to me means completely different than you. See, if you lost a leg or you lost an arm, yes, you would have to learn how to do something in a new way. I just learned it my own way. I learned how to tie my shoe my way. I learned how to write with a pencil my own way. So just conveying that to people and, and getting people to kind of understand and, uh, you know, treat me as if I was just like everyone else was the greatest difficulty. I could see that. So you got to get people to look at you beyond what they just see on the surface. It's like not looking at a book by its cover, but actually looking at the inside of the person to understand their individual unique experience. Yeah, I, I want to ask you this. Looking at your situation, this is a radio show. This is a podcast. So most of the people listening to this aren't going to visually see us. For purposes of this episode only, and that's the only reason I ask you that, if you could describe how you're different based on your experience with your, you know, your physical challenges um, for the audience without it being, you know, without them seeing us, can you just explain if they were to see you at a Starbucks and you had shorts on? Or, you know, what would be the thing that they would notice about you from the outside? We're not going to talk about the inside until we get further in the interview. But I just, I'm trying, in other words, to portray your challenges because you've been through all yeah. that. And yes, it's your experience. But, you know, I'll give you an example. I've never had any limitations in my body, like uh, physical limitations. I mean, I've had health issues in the past. I remember about 10 years ago, I was trying to train for a half marathon. And I am not the most coordinated individual. My mom will tell you that. My brother will tell you that. I've played sports, but I fell flat on my face when I was running for this training for this half marathon. And I sprained my ankle so severely that I had to crawl to my car and I called in sick to work and I couldn't use crutches. I was the biggest baby there is. And it lasted for several weeks. And I want to ask you, if you could just share with our audience, what exactly are your greatest challenges physically? And just to let them know in, in, in terms of a, a description, that's all I'm asking about. Yeah, of course. So um, I was born with uh, hyperglossal hyperdactyly syndrome. So basically, uh, all all of my extremities have some type of issue with it. Um, I had, wear an artificial leg or a prosthetic leg on my my left leg. I'm what they call a Symes amputee. Uh, so basically, I, I have the full leg. I just don't have a foot on it. So I have like a little ankle that kind of can oscillate, uh, but I have no foot. So I wear the prosthetic leg to give me a foot so I can wear a shoe. 
I also wear an AFO. I had a club foot when I was born that was corrected, and they ended up fusing my ankle. And so I wear a, a, a plastic ankle foot orthesis around uh, uh, my right leg just to provide some stability. And with that whole setup at night, I can bear weight on my both of my legs, and I can walk around barefoot, but I really prefer not to, not to do that. Um, my hands, I have missing digits on both my hands. I have two digits on uh, each hand, um, pretty much like your, your thumb and maybe your pinky. So if you take your thumb and uh, your pinky and hold them out and, and fold in your, your, I guess, pointer finger, middle finger, and ring finger, you would, uh, you would kind of have a, an idea what I have there. So at a Starbucks, that's probably the most notable, noticeable thing is I have I have uh, missing digits on my hands, but I get around I get around very good and I don't I don't let it boggle me down a little bit, you know, or limit you in any way. Or I limit me. Yep. I'm so impressed with what you do. And while you were just describing that, I literally took a pen and I took my pinky and a thumb and I tried to see what that would look like in my hand. I wouldn't be able to write one letter. How are you able to utilize a pen with just two digits? I have a, um, actually on, uh, on my website, uh, I have a link to a YouTube video that shows you how I can hold a pen and write. But I have a, uh, I have basically some missing, metacar I have a missing metacarpal in my right hand that uh, presents a, a nice space that I can grasp a pen or a pencil or you know, hold a steering wheel. So it allows me to easily, you know, hold on to things and grip things. I did have some finger lengthening surgery or uh, digit lengthening surgery at Shriners Hospital uh, when I was like five or six years old. And that uh, gave me the opportunity to lengthen my fingers, which ended up increasing my grip and my strength of my grip. Um, so I, I, I can grasp, I can grasp and hold on to uh, pretty heavy things. And and can and can control pretty heavy things too. I, I when I was 12, 13 years old, I took you know, private pilot's lessons. I can drive a car. Hmm. Um, I can even fire a a, a, a pistol. So, um, wow. you know, great. I'm so happy to hear that. By the way, <laughs> just to talk about your experience, because that's what I think this is about: is being able to get your point of view and perspective, so our audience can kind of look at it from that vantage point. The Americans with Disabilities Act came into law in 1990, and as a law, it's supposed to make it so that there's no discrimination against individuals with disabilities in public life, jobs, schools, transportation. But it also requires that public and private places are open to the public, is at least my best understanding of it. And I, I bring that up because when we were talking privately about two weeks ago, and that's what gave me the idea to have this episode, you went to Stetson University in Deland, and that's where I met you. And you were there not only for four years of undergrad, but you were also there for your MBA degree. And I think you were sharing some stories with me about your undergrad experience there that I'd like to have you actually share with our audience, because when you described that to me, it really hit me. Like, I take things for granted every day when I park and I walk to the grocery store or whatever it is. And yeah, yeah. your experience at Stetson or anything that you go to for public buildings uh, that are supposed to be compliant with the Americans with Disabilities Act. I wanted to see if you could share your experience of what you've encountered and how you had to 
I'd say, work through challenges because of noncompliance with ADA by school, by, by like Stetson, for example, or other institutions you may have interacted with? If you could share that with our audience so that they can kind of get an understanding of what I'm talking about. So first of all, um, the reason why I attended Stetson was because it was a small campus and uh, they, they, they have made significant improvements uh, since I have graduated. So the landscape of the accommodations there have probably significantly changed. But when I was there, the, the campus, you could get around it fairly well if you were in a wheelchair, but obviously with older buildings and older structures, you had some accommodation issues, particularly in bathrooms. And, and just not to interrupt you, but just to ask you, this is in the mid 2000s. You're talking about that time period, right? Yeah, so like 2005 to 2010. Okay. So, um, that pretty much they, they would make accommodations, they would move classes to you know, uh, first floors, or they you know, relocate a class if you couldn't get to the uh, particular you know, floor. Um, there were a couple historical buildings on campus that. I guess under the ADA historical buildings don't need to be retrofitted or if it basically the ADA has some carve out language in there that talks about historical buildings and also talks about what is reasonable in terms of retrofitting, I guess. It's what I understand. So there's a there's a couple buildings on campus like Elizabeth Hall that's uh, three stories high. And obviously, it does not have an elevator. It was built, I believe, in the late 1800s. Uh, so uh, I had a couple classes on the third floor, and you know, they, they relocated them to buildings that had elevators or relocated them to the first floor. Um, There's some other considerations, like parking is also a big thing. So with all these green spaces being created on campuses now, they, I guess the modern trend now is to move kind of parking out to the boundaries of the uh, properties and have more green spaces on the inside of the property. So when I was at Stetson, I was able to park in, you know, faculty parking lots and bring my car right up basically to the building. And now that's not really the case. You have to park in a, you know, an outside, um, you know, a parking lot that borders the edge of campus. So <clears throat> another thing was, our, our fraternity house you know, did not have handicap spaces. They did not have assigned handicap, you know, a, a specific handicap space you know, per the ADA regulations. So that became kind of a hindrance too. You get, you know, public safety would write you a parking ticket and you'd have to go explain to them that, hey, you're not in compliance. You can't ticket me for, for parking on the grass. You know, I was trying to, you know, hmm make a spot make a spot there if you will because there was no parking every 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 space was taken so another thing to note uh, especially living in florida you get a lot of rain so some drainage issues occur where uh, ramps and stuff will get flooded because uh, of the drainage issues so if you were in a wheelchair you had to roll yourself through a big puddle another thing to note i couldn't I even imagine the, that like when you say that oh, yeah. just now I'm, try I'm trying to imagine myself, first off, being wheelchair bound. Secondly, having it rain the way it rains in Florida, where it pours and uh, it's like a monsoon. And then trying to figure out how to get to class as an undergrad student or as a graduate student at a, at a, a campus that has green places but doesn't have accommodations. 
how do you do that? I mean, they do have, so one thing I did, uh, I, I did get involved with the association for disability advocates or, you know, that they go by the acronym of ABA on campus. Um, and I was the student government center representative for them. And I wrote a couple bills. Um, yeah, everybody was more worried about, uh, saving the styrofoam in the cafeteria, you know, and, and having reusable lunch, lunch containers. And I was more worried about just getting people with disabilities around campus and then having a, a better quality of life for them. Now, don't get me wrong, you know, the environment is important, but I also think that quality of life for a person that, you know, is disabled is also, you know, very important too. So one thing I advocated for was that um, they they would look into the handicap parking issue. And another thing we had was we had this requirement of cultural credit. And basically cultural credit, you had to get so many credits for going to these like speakers or extracurricular events, if you will, that had some uh, tie into learning about something, you know, cultural, cultural or, they had like a senator come speak, you know, you, you get credit for going there. And you had to have like 20 credits to graduate or something like that. But they would sometimes have these events in obscure places like on the third floor of like Elizabeth Hall. And no one could, no one in a wheelchair could get to them. So like the accessibility of these events were in question. And it's, I, I think it created an undue burden on someone that was in a wheelchair to have to pre-plan basically their whole semester out of figuring out what events they could attend and not attend. So when I was an SGA senator, I, I proposed that they implement a, a practice to try to schedule these events and, you know, accommodating places or have a way to um, kind of clear these events with, you know, student, the student population that, you know, couldn't necessarily, you know, go to these very obscure places, you know, while they're in their wheelchair. How was the university with your with your desire to make sure things were compliant? What was, for example, I know there's a story you talked about where you lived on an upper floor for a while, a residence hall, and I wanted to see if you could yeah. share that experience and how the university accommodate or try to accommodate your situation. Yeah, so um, Stetson, I guess, contracted out to build some new dorms, and I don't know if the university owned these dorms or. A, another company owned the dorms or however that was structured. But uh, between 2005 and 2006, uh, they erected uh, a, a brand new dorm, three-story dorm that probably had, you know, 100 to 120 rooms in it. And they also erected some like three or four apartment buildings on campus. And part of the the attraction for that building was uh, it was going to be modern. It was going to have uh, ADA accessibility in it. They were going to have an elevator. Uh, they were going to have ADA rooms on each floor, and the bathrooms would be compliant. Because that's the big thing for me is, you know, I'm definitely afraid of slipping in the bathroom and, you know, falling down and hurting myself. And so they ended up assigning me a room on the third floor of this building, I get a call like two weeks before classes saying, hey, we don't have an elevator in yet. It, it would take a couple more weeks to get the elevator in. And, and until then, you know, they could reassign me to a different 
dorm or I can move into the room I want, you know, I wanted to move into, got signed, and, you know, just wait it out. So I chose to wait it out for like, you know, a few weeks and a few weeks became a few months. And finally it, you know, it was like, I started questioning and I'm like, how did you get a certificate of occupancy for this building, you know, without it being compliant? So that, that tend to lay a fire under them to uh, get this thing built, the elevator, you know, put in. They ultimately had to retrofit some of the building because they, they forgot to put a mechanical room right next door to the elevator shaft. So they had to like route, put some like conduits for the building that they just built uh, to put all the, you know, electrical and mechanical components. But to a normal person that on the outside, it's not, it doesn't seem like a necessary thing. It doesn't bother you day by day. And, but once you've been in a wheelchair, you'll, you'll realize how restrictive it is. I can tell you from my personal experience of just having crutches for two weeks, and that's nothing like what you're describing, how, debil- how, how much of a shock to my system that was. So what you're describing, living on the third floor of, of, of a residence hall during your college experience, and having how many months did you have to deal with that, going up and down steps? I believe it ended up like turning into like three and a half to like four months. And that's almost a semester. Like, wow. Like, we, I sent like emails back and forth and it finally, you know, it finally got taken care of, but you know, it was something that I, I guess in the rush to get everybody moved in, I guess there was some politics involved in getting, getting that building occupied. I understand. Yeah. That, that's interesting to me. Tell me about, I know you mentioned that you were, you joined Pi Kappa Phi, which is the fraternity that we're both in. And that's how I became acquainted with you at first. How was that experience for you when you entered Stetson? Did you join the fraternity your freshman year? Yeah, so um, I went to Stetson with the idea of um, it, it was a new opportunity to, to uh, I really knew no one from my high school that was going there. So it was an opportunity for me to uh, get involved with a new crowd of people, not have to worry about any past differences I had with people and I wouldn't say make a name for myself but basically you know it was a new beginning of my journey of of my life if you will so I arrived on campus I really had no interest in joining a fraternity and of course there was a uh, gentleman in my uh, my dorm a pie cap uh, fraternity brother named uh, Joe Lappin and he was the uh, resident assistant RA and he basically recruited our whole dorms, and I started hanging out with the pie caps. They accepted me. That's one big thing that I never felt in my entire life. I never felt accepted by a group of people. I always felt like I, I was always being used by a group of people because I was smart or they knew that I would do a good job to get them a good, to get a good grade on a group project. There was always some utility behind friendship, but these, <laughs> these young men were truly open and uh, accepting uh, to have me in their midst in the brotherhood. I think it's phenomenal. And that's one thing I'm very proud about for our fraternity that we have that as part of our makeup, so to speak. In terms of our philanthropy, I know just to mention that, because I know that's something you've been involved with, it's called now 
it's now referred to as the ability experience. When I believe you went to undergrad, when I was an undergrad in the late 90s, it was called formerly known as, I should say, Push America. And that was the philanthropy. Did you get involved as an undergrad in the projects associated with the ability experience? And if so, what type of work did you do with that, if anything? I wasn't directly involved in it, in any of the, the projects. I know we had, I, I primarily focused my efforts on, I was also, like I said earlier, I was an SGA senator, so I'd always, I'd always focus on how PICAP could interface with the uh, university to, you know, facilitate awareness for dis people with disabilities. And I wouldn't say I was the token disabled guy there, but I was a good mouthpiece for the organization to, to lead that. So that was kind of what I, I focused on. I, I did more local stuff than working with national. I understand. I just wanted to bring that up because I think that's just something that is so unique about our dynamic and knowing each other. I want to ask you a little personal stuff for you. When you were younger, you were at a typical elementary school. Is that right? Yeah. So I was, uh, you know, mainstreamed in school. So I was basically in everybody, you know, like a normal elementary school setting and, you know, just a normal kindergarten, first through fifth grade, you know, middle school, high school. I believe my elementary school had a little speech therapy thing going on. So I was part of that for like an hour a week. Same thing with occupational therapy. Um, they taught me to write in cursive like two years before they taught uh, other kids. So I had good penmanship in cursive before my, my peers did. And I we focused on that because <clears throat> uh, writing, manual writing is, is very taxing on my hand. So um, writing in a cursive script was a little bit easier for me. Let me ask you this. In reference to your situation as an elementary school student uh, when you were younger, how were you received when you were in school from like elementary school through your early years? And, and what was that experience like for you in terms of your situation? Yeah, so I would, I would say when I first went into elementary school, I would sit down, the teacher would kind of introduce me. I would let everybody see my hands and my legs. They could touch it, you know, it's kind of like a show and tell type thing it, just to get them acclimated, you know, after like their first or, or kindergarten or first grade, you know, I, I pretty much fit in. But one thing, um, you know, going through school, everybody's competitive in terms of how fast they can run and how, you know, they're, they're, everybody's so enamored about their physical aspects of their life in terms of, you know, their physical agility. So obviously, as I grew a little bit older, I wasn't fast as everybody else, and it really showed in PE classes. So a funny story was that <clears throat> I was supposed to have really adaptive PE classes, which was really good for um, don't force him to do anything he can't really do, like, you know, try to pitch a, a, a football or, a, or a, a softball or baseball or, you know, run, time him for a mile run and, and grade him based upon the time. You know, that stuff I couldn't necessarily do. So <laughs> I was reminded of a story actually a couple weeks ago, but my mom, she told me that she went in and talked to the PE teacher and said, hey, like, you can't 
you have to adapt his PE to fit his needs. And surely the next day I was out there and he was trying to have me throw a football uh, in like a competitive little flag football game. And of course, our team didn't win. So there was a little, little ostracism there that kind of car- carried on of, hey, I, you know, I couldn't do something, right? So it became, it became more apparent throughout the years at the elementary school. Well, you know, I was the last one picked on this, you know, the little PE teams and stuff like that. And it became very, very challenging for me to, to fit in in that regard. And in uh, middle school and high school, kids were more, you know, kids would talk to you, be more accepting, but they wouldn't invite you out to do anything with them. You'd find out about parties that, you know, that kids invited a whole class, but they didn't invite you, you know, because you weren't the in, the, the, in the in, inside group or you didn't, you didn't fit in, you weren't cool enough. So, what I did is I, I took that and turned it into an opportunity. So because I wasn't able to do that, I started focusing on other things um, that I had control of. So <clears throat> one thing I focused on was creating a business. I created a, uh, a web hosting and computer repair business. And so while these kids were partying up, I was making $35 an hour going out and fixing computers and building websites. (laughs) I was like 14 or 15, maybe 16. You were an entrepreneur Um, at an early age. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, so I I, I was making more an hour than some people make, you know, in their adulthood, just fixing computers. And I, I had to focus on something. So that was my focus. And at that time, my dad owned a software business and I started learning about more of computers and how to fix them, how to build them. So I got more training on that. And that kind of led me into my career path today. So that's how I turned a, a, negative, a negative into a positive. So. Go ahead. I was going to ask you, aside from being a motivational speaker, what is your day job, if you want to call it that? <laughs> <laughs> we all have I'm a jobs, professional. Right? <laughs> yes. Good. Yes. I'm a uh, professional software developer for a uh, okay. family business. Okay. And how long have you been doing that for? Sounds like since you were 14. Ten. <laughs> I've been at my current job for 10 years. Okay. Congratulations on that. That's amazing. Uh, you know, your parents, <laughs> how remarkable of people are they? to instill on you the set of values that you have to overcome these challenges and keep a level head. And not only that, but turn, like you said, turn a negative situation into an opportunity and, and arise above it. I want to ask you growing up, how did your mom and dad influence you in terms of how to approach your life in light of, for example, your peers not picking you on the team first or not inviting you to parties? Or those kind of challenges, like what would your parents uh, say to you or encourage you or what type of guidance did they give you under those kind of situations growing up? Well, I mean, like some of that stuff, like I found out like, you know, weeks after things occurred, 
or different things like that. So I wasn't necessarily hurt. You know, it was kind of silent behind my back. But, you know, at the time when you find out, you're kind of like, you know, like this stuff's going on. But um, I love my parents dearly. And, uh, you know, they they both have uh, stood by me throughout all of this. Um, I have an older sister, too. I'd like to tell a little story about kind of before I was born, um, if you wouldn't mind. Yeah, so um, all these doctors, you know, they were performing these ultrasounds, and these doctors are like, we don't know what's wrong with him. He may have, you know, problems. He's probably going to have problems with his arms. And finally, I was born, and, uh, you know, I had these problems. Uh, but when the doctors were telling my parents this stuff, they, they had a couple options to make. And I remember my sister telling me that my mom and dad sat down with her them and said hey he's gonna have these problems and my sister basically said it would be you know she prayed and she said it would be awesome if he could have two fingers two digits on both of his hands so that he could do anything and i was born with what two digits on two both digits. of my hands <laughs> all right um so I kind of owe that to my sister. You know, I, I <laughs> someone at, I had a regular report when I was in elementary school about like, would I change anything of my life? And the teacher was really excited to read my report, right? Because she was like, oh, we're going to get him. He's just going to want to change his legs and hands and whatnot. I bet you can't guess what I would change. I wanted to have one fingernail on my hand so I could peel back the paper wrapper on a crayon. That was the big thing I wanted to change. Uh, but well, back to my parents, my my parents instilling me that, you know, I there are going to be people out there that are going to drag you down, but most of the people that are dragging you down have problems of their of their own, problems that you cannot see. And that's the most prevalent problems that people have are, are between their ears, like I said earlier. And, you know, just mine are more visible, right? And sure. I, I want to say um, our, our past experiences can can provide guidance and hindrance. And ultimately, it depends on what we focus on. And our current fu- and future adversities can be overcome by focusing on our strengths as well as overcoming our previous challenges. A friend of mine, Roger Crawford, who's a profession- professional keynote motivational speaker, uh, once said, don't miss the comebacks by dwelling on the setbacks. Self-doubt, okay. self-doubt happens when you remember uh, what you should forget and forget what you should remember. I think that's kind of a, a very uh, pertinent quote here. We tend to focus on what got us down and not focused on how we overcame. You know, I love that. This is what I like about it looking at it from the paradigm or from the viewpoint that focus on the things that build you up, that rise you above the situation and not focusing on the negative aspects. So that's very, very, very powerful. The other thing I wanted mm-hmm. to mention, you as a person, I've had the benefit of knowing you almost 15 years. <laughs> It'll be 15 years next year, actually. And in the 15 years that I've known you, you've gone through challenges, but I've never seen you give up And I've never seen you get so overwhelmed where you're like, I can't do this. I've never heard you say one negative thing like that. And for our audience to understand that with the challenges that you've gone through in life 
And you may not even see them as challenges because for you, this is just who you are. And it's celebrating your particular position, your uniqueness. I I love that, you know, and and the fact that you were able to not only rise above it, but you're making it a passion for yourself to do the motivational speaking. When did you first decide that you were interested in being a motivational speaker yourself? And if you can share that with our audience, what was the catalyst? I think one thing that I have to do in my lifetime is to be able to give back to those who gave to me. Now, when I say that, what has been given to me? So I was a patient of Schreiner's Hospital for 18 years. I had 20 some odd surgeries with them. They spent well over a million dollars to furnish me with prosthetic legs, braces, uh, world-class doctors, obviously the surgeries. So I'm I'm not technically able to financially give back at this moment of my life, but if I can inspire someone to be themselves and be the best they can be and discover that they have no limits and that the only limits that you're placing on yourself is what's between your ears, if I can inspire one person, I'm giving back. So... I'm trying to use my motivational speaking as an outlet to give back to what has been given to me. That's amazing. And I think you also mentioned your mentor. If you can share that again with the audience, has he helped you with motivating you to pursue this as your passion aside from what you know you do in terms of your day job? Yeah, I, I will never be as a, a, a profound speaker as he. I, I'm not going to quit my day job tomorrow. Uh, but uh, Robert, well, never saying ever, first of all, but at this juncture in my life, um, it's more of a hobby, uh, but Roger has uh, a, a very inspirational story. Um, he, he, he grew up, uh, he had similar conditions as mine that affect all four of his limbs, became the first Division I NCAA athlete to have um, a condition that affected all four of his limbs. And he played tennis. He played tennis at Loyola Marymount uh, College. And uh, so, and then he he went on and now he he speaks globally. But I met met him in the late 90s. Uh, when I was six or seven, so I was going through these stages of going, you know, through rejection and um, acceptance issues in college. So, I mean, in, in uh, elementary school, he's been there. So, I kind of looked at him being, and I said to myself, "Well, someone else did it. I can too." Right? <laughs> so, um, I kept in touch with him. And an interesting story was Stetson was looking for a motivational speaker to come in to speak at one of their disability awareness, you know, weeks. And uh, I just put his name in a recommendation jar and, you know, like two or three months later, he shows up and uh, sent him an email like the night before, like, hey, I'm the one who got you here. You know, so. <laughs> <laughs> so, I keep in touch with him regularly and he gives me pointers on uh, different tips and different things like that. I want to just ask you, I know you mentioned it on the side to me when we were talking about this privately, that he played tennis against someone and beat them. I want to see if you can share that with our uh, audience as well. That's a unique story. <laughs> I, I'd have to go back and like 
rewatch some of his speeches. I guess speeches on YouTube too. And but he like I think he told a story where he like played John McEnroe or something and like that's what scrimmage. Yeah. And uh, you know, John McEnroe took the loss a little bit more harder after he took his warm up <laughs> on and realized that he just lost to someone with a prosthetic also. <laughs> uh, you know, it just makes you understand. Anytime you hear these kind of examples, our limitations are, like you said, between the years. It's not anywhere else. And if we can get our audience and society to understand it that way, so many things of how we approach people with physical limitations or challenges would change. And I also think you'd have a lot more empathy and understanding in our society of these type of issues. Going back to your earlier years, because I know that was something we had discussed as well. What was the worst experience? I don't want to dwell on the negative. I just want to kind of paint the image with a broad stroke of exactly what it was like for you on a personal level to deal with negativity from your peers. And, and specifically, what I want to ask you about is, did you ever experience firsthand any type of bullying situation? Okay, so one thing that kind of stood out, um, as you said this to me, um, I, I remember distinctly a time um, in middle school. And see, one thing with people with disabilities is that people tend to, in my opinion, people tend to look at me and go, well, he has these outside issues going on. I wonder what else, what other issues he has. And they tend not to, they tend to shy away from you, not want, want to interact with you because they don't know what else is wrong, right? <sighs> and one, one, one thing that stood out to me when I was in, uh, in, pardon me, in middle school was I was walking through a courtyard one day and this bully stood up on the second floor balcony of this courtyard started harassing me about my artificial leg and he also harassed me he said i bet you have some other things that are artificial and i just leave that there he was more explicit and it it it, it hurt it hurt because everybody around me was looking at me how i was re- going to respond and I, I i tend to brush things off and, and move on but you know, things like that hurt. Things like that cast doubt in people's head. You know, and I, you know, I, I hope that your audience realizes that people with disabilities, people with physical differences, are just trying to be normal, trying to fit in, trying to fit in just with everyone else, trying to, trying to, you know, go about their day normally. No, I can understand that, and it's just you just want to live your life like anyone else and not have any, when you walk into a, a room with people you don't know, you'd like to yep. be able to have an experience similar to anyone else that walks into that room. It doesn't matter what yep. you're walking in with. <laughs> it's more about yep. what you carry on the inside and, and your other attributes. <laughs> exactly. I, I want, you know, what I want to ask you, and this interview is going fast, by the way, I, you know, I figured it would just because you know, you and I enjoy talking a lot anyway. I love talking to you anytime we do carry on a conversation. Here's what I want to ask you, because this is something that might tie in, may not. Growing up the way you did, from your personal experiences, how, if at all, has that influenced your own spiritual understanding of things? In other words, the afterlife or the larger universe or whatever 
belief system. You don't have to get into religion or anything like that. But I'm just curious to find out what if how did this how did this help to shape you in how you understand the way spiritual mind body spirit things work now and 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 just if you can share that if you, if you have anything with that yeah. that you would like to raise. So I grew up in a Christian household, still reside in a Christian household. Okay. Uh, I, go, I okay. go to church. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm saved. I'm a believer. And one thing I okay. will say is that, you know, I, I think uh, God put me on this earth uh, for a purpose uh, and gave me uh, these anomalies, if you will, to be able to overcome them and be an inspiration for people around me. And I have to look at it that way. I also have to look at there is hope for people that are down in the rut, you know, that are depressed uh, and that have problems. There's hope in seeing someone overcome the obstacles, overcome the odds, and, and do it with a smile on their face. So if I can, so if I can kind of emulate that or be the best I can be in that regard, and bring hope to someone's life and bring inspiration to someone's life, I think, you know, ultimately I make a difference uh, here and also, you know, in, in the universe. I love that. I think that's a, a great way of encapsulating your experience in terms of it. Let me ask you this. Going forward, where do you see yourself five years from now with your motivational speaking or your business opportunities or just in general? I, I still see myself in an entrepreneurial role. Like I said, don't quit your day job. <laughs> I grew up in an entrepreneurial family, so I have the entrepreneurial gene and itch. Um, I've seen businesses start and grow. I like being around that environment. And I think that um, if I can lead a good life, lead you know, a, a team of people, create a good company and also be an inspiration to those inside the company and outside the company. That's ultimately where I see myself and I see myself also doing, you know, motivational speaking on the side, maybe 25% or even up to 50% of my time. Okay. Here's what I'll say. Call it an observation, you know, maybe a, a psychic hunch. I could see you writing a book about your experiences and communicating to others just based on this episode, I think you have so much depth and so much uniqueness mm -hmm. also overcoming a lot. We love to hear stories of overcoming your challenges. I think your story would be very inspirational on many levels. Have you thought about writing a book? Yes. Um, I, I'm, I, I need to find the time to do it. <laughs> I'm trying okay. to also okay. raise a, uh, a, 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 a also, in all of this, I'm trying to, you know, be a, a good single father to my, my daughter and, uh, you know, spend all my quality time with her and not distract away from that while she's in her formable years growing up. So Let's I talk about Madeline for a later, second. <laughs> later no, on sorry. in the pipeline. <laughs> sure. You are a single dad. And I know Madeline is how old at this point? Uh, Madeline's three and a half years old. She's a darling. Congratulations. Congratulations. Uh, once again, how have you been sharing your experience with her growing up? Is there anything in particular that you, while you're raising her, instill on her uh, regarding your unique perspective, if that makes any sense? I'm trying to basically ask you as, as her parent, just like your parents instilled on you that you're no different than anybody else. Is that how you're raising yeah. Adam? 
Okay. Great. Absolutely. So my parents, my, my parents brought me up that I was no different and that I could put, if I could put my mind to it, I could do anything I wanted to. And that gave me a lot of leeway. So from the aspect of Madeline, I'm showing her that I'm just, you know, a normal dad to you. I'm a normal father. I asked her the other day ago, you know, we were counting on her hands and I can only count to four on my hands. So like she has me beat already at three and a half. So um, <laughs> I was trying to see, I was trying to see how she reacted to that after I got the floor and she's like, daddy, I got it from here. And she, you know, continued on. And later on, I just wanted to see, cause child's minds are just phenomenal sponges at this age. And they tend just to, they, they have so much understanding. So I asked her, why can't I count more than five? And she goes, Oh, because you're just my dad and, and, and you were made that way. All right. So, <laughs> you know, a little kid doesn't have any other analogs to compare it to. I'm just her dad. You know, I was made that way. You know, I'm special. <laughs> uh, I love that. I really do. Let, let and, then, and then she looked at my hand and Go said, ahead. she looked at one of my hands and said, it looked like a peace sign, but you know. Anyway. <laughs> I love that. Let me ask you this. What do you think is the greatest challenge facing our society to make things Americans with disabilities compliant, you know, ADA compliant with public places and just in general? What do you think that greatest challenge would be? And what would you recommend that handle or overcome the challenge as a society? I think it's just lack of understanding. One day I was at a, 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 a national gas station chain and they put a uh, like a little marketing sign, you know, like a, a temporary sign, like, come on in, try our, you know, subs or whatever it was. And they put it in the middle of the, you know, the handicap loading zone. And, you know, if you're in a wheelchair, you can't get out of your car. So, you know, it's just understanding, you know, getting, getting people to understand that, yeah, we, we, we have codified and into law, you know, these rules, and they're not just simply rules, they, they're there to make someone's life be more, more normal. I understand that. And I think, I think as society evolves, I think the younger generation will probably be more open to creating change, real lasting change. So that societal attitude itself over time, by the time Madeline's growing up, will hopefully be different than they were when you were growing up, for example. Would you agree with that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I do agree. Yeah. There's some there's some social change happening, and I, I think there's a there's a lot more groups that are being you know more predominantly recognized, and uh, people are are more open to people being different. One of the reasons I wanted to do this episode with you today is because I like highlighting extraordinary people, and I believe you're one of those type of individuals just based on your story. I mean. It's amazing to think that you've accomplished what you've had have already done in your life with the, the stuff that you've had to experience. Here's what I want to ask you. Looking at looking back at your life, is there anything about your life that you would change or handle differently than you, you have in light of your of your circumstances? I still think it would be pretty cool to have a fingernail to peel a crayon. <laughs> <laughs> I 
I can understand. I, I, I won't change anything. You know, I, I believe I, I have overcome adversity so I can improve myself and, and ultimately help others. So I, I don't think, I think the pain and suffering and everything I went through, you know, can, can, can motivate and inspire others. And, um, you know, now it's just me trying to find my voice or the correct words to express it to people and, uh, having, you know, having opportunities to do that is immensely appreciated. And I, I truly appreciate you having me on your, your, your podcast here, Jason. Uh, Jeff, this is something that's been on my goal for a while. I just finally having the time to be able to sit down with you and do this. Cause you know, what really motivated me to make me want to do this was when we had to talk a couple of weeks ago and you were explaining to me your stories and as an undergrad and how you had to deal with these struggles, just being a student at Stetson or, you know, just having your description just made me really think about it. I'm like, wow, those are things I don't think of because it's not my experience, you know? And I, I like having paradigm shifting episodes that maybe if one listener in our audience thinks of things a little differently, the next time they encounter someone at a Starbucks who might look a little different, they may be more empathetic. They might say, hey, this is just person's just like me. I'm not going to think any differently of that person. And whatever it, it, it can be, that's what my goal is with this podcast episode is to help people really think from, because I'll be honest with you, from my experience over the years, you've been one of the most remarkable people I've met with your set of challenges, who's been able to take it and turn it into such a positive situation. And I like that because it's a higher vibrational energy for us when you come from something with a position of love, respect, and embracing your challenges but looking at it from the hey you know what it's not a big deal i'm just like anyone else i, I admire that mm -hmm. personally because i think well, I if we had more that. people like you yeah and if we had more people like you in our in our society you wouldn't see the kind of stuff that we see in terms of negativity that's out there i really do think we'd have a more understanding society over time and i think in time we will have that again or you know we will you know, because I know our society goes back and forth with a pendulum between aspirational goals of what we seek to do, becoming more inclusive, and then we get a swing in a different direction, and it goes back and forth. And I'm not trying to say that with political persuasions. I'm just saying, historically, we've gone through different trends and different accomplishments and achievements. And as a, as a society, we grow and we do these things. And I think your story and your experience represents one of those additional areas in our society that still need to be advanced further that still needs to be adequately advocated for so that we don't have non-wheelchair accessible areas or non-ADA compliant buildings. And I also think we can build upon the ADA. That was just a, a low threshold. There can be things that can be improved upon, updated, and make it what it really should be equalizing yeah. your experience, for example, or younger generations so that we don't have this as a struggle in the future. That's my ultimate goal as a person that I hope. I just want to bring up one more thing before I leave. I, I know I've called sure. into this podcast a, a few times and I know there's been a lot of relationship questions and um, I'm a firm believer that we must cultivate deep and lasting relationships with people around us. And, um, we must treat everybody, you know, with respect and dignity. And I, and I know uh, throughout my life, I've always tried uh, to uplift people 
and to uh, you know be good to people. And ultimately, it pays off. I have friends that go back to when I was two years old. All right, I have wow. a group of five or six friends that go back to when I was two. And I call, we call each other every day, all right? So, you know, develop those relationships. If you're mad at someone or whatnot, get right with them. You know, be nice to them because one day they may need you or you may need them. I love the way you said that just now because that's so accurate and so true that even if you have a disagreement with a close friend, time can heal that, you know. But ultimately, you do have to open your heart to that person or have them open their heart to you to get past those kind of challenges. And I think for, from your personal perspective, I should, let me rephrase this, just knowing you on a personal level as well as I have over the years, I know you live by what you say. <laughs> you, you mean what you say and say what you mean. And that's why I have such a profound respect for you as a person. And I'm, I just have so much gratitude for you being willing to share your personal experience publicly, not only on this podcast, but also in terms of how others receive you and just being candid. It really helps a lot, I think, for people to really look at this a little more critically and say, okay, society does need to do more. Okay, I need to do more when I encounter mm-hmm. anyone that's different than myself. And that's what I hope that this mm-hmm. episode does for people. Get out of your comfort zone. Shake someone's hand, exactly. hug them, whatever you need to do, because I guarantee you, you're going to have a better day and they're going to have a better day. And I 100% agree with you on that. And I just, I know we're running low on time. I just want to thank you so much for sharing your experiences with me, being candid about it, being able to express this stuff, because I really do think it needs a mouthpiece. And that's why I think you represent not only in your deeds, your actions, but in, in general. And I'm, I'm so appreciative of that. Yeah, I appreciate the, uh, the opportunity to, to come on. Uh, you can find more about me at... Uh, jeffray.com and that's j-e-f-f-w-r-a-y.com uh, or you can uh, call or text uh, my booking hotline at 813-575-3993. Jeffrey, thank you for coming on. I would like you to please keep me updated about your motivational speaking as well as when you do eventually have a book that goes out because I can tell you I see that happening. In, in the not-so-far-distant future. So definitely look into it. Uh, I would love to have you back on at that point <laughs> or before. If there's anything that you, you know, you'd like to share with our audience, I would love to have that open door for you. Absolutely. I appreciate the opportunity, and you guys have a good night. Thank you so much, Jeffrey. Appreciate you. Have a blessed night. Bye-bye. I just want to thank Jeffrey for coming on today. I know him as Jeffrey from when he was younger. He goes by Jeff. But having the courage to share your experience, to share and advocate for something that is still not mainstream on the level it should be. When I'm in my 40s right now, when I was younger, the ADA did not exist yet. And I don't personally remember it, but I know that they didn't have sidewalks that were ADA compliant. That was not that long ago. And even when I was in college at the University of Tampa, we had an old historical building that was over 100 years old, like Jeffrey was describing. And I remember my own personal experiences through my undergraduates. What our school was, you know, it's a private university. I love my college. They went out of their way to make sure that anyone who was a student that needed assistance received it. 
And having that open mindset as an institution of higher learning, for example, to be receptive, I should say, to, to, to be able to not only advocate, but be receptive and be willing to accept that there might be limitations within your own system, systemic issues, and then being able to overcome those and, and, and implement changes. Those are the kind of things that our society needs to do on a larger level. And I think that will happen in time. I do think that someone like Jeff is so pivotal in sharing his own personal story and, and just utilizing his talents and his gifts to not only be entrepreneurial and work for himself, but also to decide to be brave enough to be a motivational speaker. That takes a lot of gumption. And I'm so excited to see what his future path is going to be in light of all the things that he's accomplished already. And so that's where I want to leave this for today, to just basically say, whenever you feel like you have a limitation or if you're dealt a setback or an obstacle, think of someone like Jeff. Think of somebody who doesn't know any different, who you might look at them and think, if that person could change things about their lives, they would probably want to be just like everybody else. But just like Jeffrey said today, if he was given a chance to go back and change things, he'd want a fingernail so that he could rip the outside wrapper off of a crayon when he was younger, for example. Things we take for granted are things that someone else would be like, you know, that's all I really want. That's a true depth of character. And that's a true, I just think it's just something that's so remarkable and should be respected and admired by our society. On that note, I just want to thank Jeff for coming on. I want to thank each of you for supporting this podcast. And I want to just let you know that we are going to continue our episodes. We're going into season three soon. Thank you so much for supporting the show. And I look forward to having additional episodes with people like Jeffrey coming on to share their personal experiences. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Social Psychic Radio Show. Don't forget to join us for another episode next time. If you enjoyed the show, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and give us a review on iTunes. You can also check us out on Facebook, and don't forget to visit the Social Psychic YouTube channel. Until next time, it's a big world out there. Keep an open mind, embrace your paradigms, and know that the universe is always yours to explore. Are you looking for that perfect gift to express your appreciation for your loved one or bestie? Well, look no further. Royal Susie offers one-of-a-kind designs with genuine high-quality crystals, stones, and the most precious of metals that are guaranteed to satisfy the urges of your inner king or queen. Each piece is handcrafted with love and is sure to inspire and captivate all. Indulge yourself by visiting Royal Susie's website at www.royalsusie.com for splendid items like agate bookends, impressively crystal-studded bottle stoppers, and beautifully handcrafted nightlights that will charm every room in your home. Royal Susie's featured collections will truly delight your guests and always make them feel welcome. Any questions? Contact Royal Susie directly by email at royalsusiedesigns at yahoo.com. At Baker's, no matter where you order free pickup, you get the same great deals as you'd get in store. So you can save when you order during band practice 
or at the dog park or wherever. Start your cart with the Baker's app and save from wherever today. Baker's, fresh for everyone. $35 order minimum restrictions may apply. Subject to availability. Get more ways to save at the buy five or more, save $1 each sale. Just buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Bakers, fresh for everyone. Hi, I'm Lessa Cadet, host of Her Extraordinary Life by Design podcast, where we celebrate women who are shaping their lives one extraordinary day at a time. I speak with women from all over the world about what they do and how they are passionately pursuing their dreams and creating meaningful impacts on their communities. So come join us and learn about all there is to learn about these extraordinary women. Have you ever wondered what actually happens in Congress every day? Stay informed on Capitol Hill's daily happenings with a concise, factual summary of the Senate and House of Representatives activities from the previous session, free from bias, on the Congressional Record Daily Digest podcast. Subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and discover the process from the heart of U.S. politics. The Congressional Record Daily Digest, an electric cast production. Electric acid. Electric acid.